Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. TheChairShot.com TheChairShot.com Always, always use your head. You are now listening to Chair Shot Radio. Always use your head. is monday hello everyone welcome in to your monday edition of chair shot radio a part of the chair shot radio network on the chairshot.com this is part one of your double dose of patrick o'dowd and david ungar here on this fine monday morning dave how you doing my friend well, it's uh, August. We made it to August, Pat, and uh, that's that's got to count for something, right? It's something. I the the month of August is like my worst month of the year in terms of like work and and stress levels. So it's a uh, it's a nice little break and repeat reprieve reprieve. What that what the hell is that? Reprieve from the from the di- daily grind Monday through Friday. Even though we're coming up on some some breaks for Patrick as things get a little a little warp, warped up in August, but excited to continue musical chairs. I am hopeful that I'm surprising you again with my artist this week. I know you don't know, but uh, I, I'm keeping my goal. This will be the last of the old old school artists that I, that I run with this week. So I'm very very excited about that. I hope you have a good one as well yourself. For, for musical chairs you're nodding you feeling good feeling good about your choices oh yeah i mean it's it's another one of my faves so that'll be good but yeah I, i'm more actually more curious about yours that i am concerned about mine because it's like ah, i grew up with these guys so um lay it on me well, brother 
Well, that's the thing is, yeah, this week it's my turn to go first. Uh, I'll cover I'll cover my band first. We'll do our, our usual commercial break and then and then we'll go to you. Uh, and, you know, before we even get into that, though, we'll, we'll pay some bills right off the bat and then jump right to it. Because like I mentioned before, you're listening to ChairShot Radio on the ChairShot Radio Network and a part of the ChairShot.com. And if you love what we do here on the chairshot.com then i highly encourage you to head over to prowrestlingtees.com forward slash the chair shot and buy a shirt because we have over 20 some different styles for you to choose from and they're all reflective of the great stuff we have on the network whether it's shows like bandwagon nerds which is dave and i's monday show our other monday show part two of the double dose to uh, a winner is you, to sayings and phrases from the shows, right down to the OG chair shot logo. It's all there, and it's really the best way to keep us going and to show your support uh, because it is not easy to keep a, a, a network running. We give you content every day of the week, Sunday to Sunday, basically three shows a day. Monday through Friday, you get chair shot radio, and that's all made possible by support from folks like you you know, backing us with, you know, buying a t-shirt. They come in your standard 1999 standard style, or if you're feeling fancy and want to feel something nice on your giblets, you can get it soft style at a few dollars more. So again, that site is prowrestlingtees.com forward slash the chair shot. Please and thank you. Thank you. And please, when we come back, we will get started with this week's edition of musical chairs here on the chair shot radio monday chair shot radio part of the chair shot radio network on the chair shot.com This is your boy, Kenny Killer, telling you to make sure you check out thechairshot.com, bringing you breaking news, interviews, podcasts galore, everything pro wrestling. Make sure you check it out, thechairshot.com. All right. Well, as I mentioned before, is for those of you who don't remember, Way chair, uh, the way musical chairs work for Dave and I is each week, Dave and I are going to pick a different artist. We're not going to tell the other um, who we've picked in terms of a musical artist, a musical act, artist, person, whatever. And we're going to basically wax poetic about that artist for about 10 minutes or so before we then shift to the other person. And each week, one of us, the whoever goes first the week prior will go second. So that Dave and I are always alternating. Last week, Dave went first sharing his love of Green Day, and I surprised Dave. Wait. Last week was no, Rush. No, Green Day was the first week. Yeah. Last week was Rush. It was motherfucking Rush. That's right. Um, and then I shared my appreciation of Tom Jones, which threw Dave off. I don't think he was ready for Tom Jones at all. And I'm ready Sir, to try and do it. Sir Tom Jones, yes. Sir Tom Jones. The, the most beautiful voice to ever come out of Wales and still going strong at 81 today. Uh, my next band is another one that I hope surprises you, Dave. They're a band that formed back in the late 50s and early 60s were famous for a, a particular style of sound, broke up, came back together, reinvented themselves and hit a new level of popularity in the 70s 
before it all came crashing down, took a break from music, and then became songwriters. I am talking about three brothers from Australia known as the Brothers Gibb. That's right. I'm talking about Barry, Robin, and Maurice Gibb, better known to all of you as the Bee Gees. Now, most of you probably know the Bee Gees for their vital role in the popularity of disco, and in particular, one of the highest selling albums of all time, the soundtrack to Saturday Night Fever. Everybody knows John Travolta strutting down the sidewalk to the song Stayin' Alive. And I'm here today to tell you all, just like I talked about Tom Jones the week before, that they were so much more than just disco. And there was a fat. They're a fascinating story because they started out as what as what is known as a skiffle band. And so, for those of you who don't know, skiffle music was popular in the late '50s, early '60s in Great Britain in particular. Uh, and it was basically the style of like rock folk made with um, a lot of improvised instruments. So you might have like washboards, uh, washboard rhythms, and and. You know, you might have like a very basic guitar, acoustic guitar. And in fact, John Lennon of the Beatles, like he was part of the skiffle band. And the Beatles really, you know, were created out of a skiffle band that that then grew into something much more popular. And the Bee Gees were much the same way before entering into the 60s, these, these three brothers um, gaining popularity in Australia with music that sounded absolutely nothing like what people know the Bee Gees for. And for my money is actually like my favorite tunes by them come from their you know the earlier portion of their career in the 60s because they were very melodic they were very ballady very very strong ballads and Barry and Robin both had very distinct voices and took you know were basically alternating roles in in who was sort of the primary lead singer of the group and my my favorite song by them is a tune called Holiday. Now it never it never reached number one uh, in in mainstream music, but um, it was like I think it, it got as high as like number sixteen in like the British charts. But it's just a very beautiful song. And and what I love to do with folks is I love to take music and play music by an artist that sounds nothing like what they're known for, and ask them who they who it reminds them of. And if you listen to the Bee Gees during the the mid to late sixties. They sound like the Beatles. Uh, their their sound and their style in these ballads were very similar to things that the Beatles were putting out. And they loved the Beatles. They were they were a part of one of the most ill-conceived movies of all time, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, the musical. It's a terrible mu- musical, but the Bee Gees are our primary players throughout that film. And they they were signed under the 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 Apple label that that the Beatles tried to run with it and couldn't get going. But much like a band in the 90s, a brother duo in the 90s known as Oasis, the Gallagher brothers, Robin and Barry really butt heads in the late 60s. Uh, and, and the band was kind of stagnating. So it just didn't help. And, and they really, there was a lot of infighting. And Robin decides to go solo. And so there's a four year period in the history of the Bee Gees where they aren't as known. Uh, because Maurice and Barry keep going, they added a they added a couple of other um, instrumentalists to be a part of the band. Robin strikes off on his own for about four years before they come back together in the early '70s, and they were still really struggling until 
they receive some suggestions from others in the business to start looking at other influences for their music. And specifically, they start looking into an R&B sound. Uh, and start catching on to uh, a little bit of we, uh, I, we caught I caught some grief over Tom Jones because they didn't talk about funk when we are not uh, are not Tom Jones Queen I didn't talk about funk when when another one caught, bites the bust bites the dust but Barry and Robin were really encouraged to start exploring R and B and a little bit of a funk sound and then a revelation came along when Barry Gibb discovered falsetto. And got that distinctive falsetto voice that everybody associates with the Bee Gees. And they started with this R&B funk disco-y sound, which disco is is a projection of R&B funk at the time, synthesized up. And the next thing you know, they're in the stratosphere with music that's being played in popular clubs. And then they make the Saturday Night Fever album, and it just explodes and is this huge monumental seller like i said one of the i think it's still like the highest selling soundtrack of all time and was for the longest time was like the the highest grossing or selling album ever uh it's it's amongst you know depending on the numbers and the metrics you look at it's it's up there amongst the top and then a fateful night in chicago brought it all down as there became a pushback on disco and the disco culture because it became so huge in mainstream. And Dave, you, you know, I mean, you were what, like 15 while this was going on. Just kidding. I don't know how old you were when, when disco was around, um, like Here six. Was Saturday night fever. Saturday night fever was in the seventies. Hold on. Let me, let me get my, uh, let's see. Saturday night fever was, yeah, it was like in the, it was like 77. 78 somewhere there didn't they, they did um they did the title track for greece as well didn't they no that's frankie valley is it okay i thought they were on greece somewhere they um hold on during a nine-month period beginning in christmas season of 77 seven songs written by the brothers held number one position they wrote greece but it was performed by frankie valley so right. and that's gonna that's gonna get to the thing so you know 70 like in, in 78 saturday night fever was you know was huge was the biggest thing and then suddenly there was a um a backlash a disco backlash in general um but it really it really came to the forefront in um what was it the di- di- the disco demolition night in chicago at a white Sox game where a disc jockey led um in between games of a doubleheader infamously on 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 like nickel draft or quarter quarter beer night i can't remember what it was some ridiculously cheap night a bunch of drunk chicagoans guy shows up to blow up a bunch of disco albums and it leads to a riot in chicago simultaneously the bgs are selling out a concert venue people are going nuts for them but the next day the the news is just talking about disco demolition and it, the backlash was so strong against the bgs that they basically went into hiding for years before emerging later as songwriters and really Barry and Barry and Robin and Maurice writing music for 
all kinds of famous vocalists. So I think uh, like Celine Dion was one of them. Um, Barbara Streisand um, was another one. They they did a lot of collaboration before they started making a comeback in the late 80s with, you know, reasonably successful albums um, all the way through until Maurice and Robin passed away. And to where, or not, yeah, Maurice and Robin. Barry's still with us. I think Barry's still with us. I don't think he's left us yet. Uh, but Barry is the is the lone surviving member of the Bee Gees, and they're just musically they were extraordinarily talented. They were very very good, and they, you know, people should give them a listen. Give them another listen, and, and look past their career because it uh in the 70s as disco because it was so much more than that they they were a career that spanned 40 years uh before your brother started dying yeah barry's still the only one left surviving out of the four um right. you know it, we didn't even mention andy gibb who was never a part of the bgs but a, a tragic figure in his own right you know sure. that, that i mean when you die of a heart he condition at 30 share, he did brief, briefly share a stage with them yeah um, at different times, like he was part of it, but yeah, he wanted to, he was a, he was a teen idol sort of heartthrob kid. And yeah, when he, he passed, it was quite tragic. Yeah, hurt, hurt all of them very much. Yeah. I mean, there's so many rumors that he did that because he killed himself over Victoria principle. No, he had a heart condition. You know, that's what that's, but that's not the point. Um, you know, the Bee Gees gotta be honest. I didn't listen to a lot of the early stuff. And, and if they sounded like the Beatles and count me amongst the many who will probably go back, listen to you. And say, hey, let's check this out. But yeah, I mean, as far as their pop culture influence and 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 just you talk about a perfect storm. You take that soundtrack from Saturday Night Fever, you combine it with John Travolta's dancing, and that is really the birth of the disco movement that caught fire for years until, yeah, I mean, there was a backlash amongst like, yeah, I'll, I'll say it, people like me who... <laughs> who I mean, go watch that movie if you want to. If you want to get a good idea of what Pat's talking about, go watch the movie Detroit Rock City, which is all yeah. about these guys going to a Kiss concert and, and the and the definite divide between people on the hard, you know, the rock side of things. And you can't really call Kiss hard rock; they're rock, uh, as opposed to the disco fans. And it's and it's very prevalent in that movie, even though Kiss was dabbling with disco, even though. Bands like Queen dabbled in disco. Just about everybody was dabbling in this super popular form of music at the time. But I mean, you, yeah, I mean, there is much more to the Bee Gees than just that album. But that's they're synonymous with that. And as far as disc, yeah. as far as music goes, if you don't like the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack, then I really don't know <laughs> if you're if you can say, are you really a music fan? Because that is one of the seminal albums in history is that one just when you look at what it ushered in it's it's a phenomenal there's at least what four five six really excellent songs that's just them yeah I, i'm gonna type it you're gonna hear i'm gonna apologize real quick because i'm gonna do a, a little typing because uh, i just um uh, i want to saturday night nba no <laughs> saturday I mean, I could I could say this about the Bee Gees. I gained a much greater appreciation of them the older I got. That's for so, sure. Let let's let's lift up. Let, I'm going to list off the songs that were hits on this album. All right, "Staying Alive," 
How deep is your love? Night fever. More than a woman. If I can't have you. Jive talking. You should be dancing. Disco Inferno. Yeah. I mean, it's... It is the... Like, that's... See? It is the... Everybody, everything was there. It is the disco album of all time. Without... You can't argue that. Right. And everybody emulated it. Everybody copied it. Everybody wanted a piece of it because there was money in that. So, yes, that's that is my that is my call for for my artist this week. But the two songs that I'm going to have that I want people to listen to aren't connected to disco. It's going to go back to more of their balance. I want people to as a as a guy living in Massachusetts, you need to listen to the song titled Massachusetts. And then another one that I love is called I've Got to Get a Message to You. Uh completely different sound to what you're used to to hearing uh, Massachusetts and I've got to get a message to you so that's gonna that's gonna do it for my my contribution to this week's musical chairs next week I've already decided unless you unless you take it today I've already decided where I'm going with my next selection will be another one of my all-time favorite bands but one that was more in my wheelhouse and popular when I was in my 20s so leave that as a little tease for next week. Um, we're going to take our second commercial break. And when we come back, it's Dave's turn to sit down and give us his contribution to musical chairs. You're listening to chair shot radio on the chair shot radio network, part of the ChairShot.com. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey folks, PC Tony here. Thanks to our new partnership with angry lemonade. You can save 10% on physical products and digital commissions using the promo code ChairShot. Head to angrylemonade.net to check out their amazing catalog of products and services. Use the promo code CHAIRSHOT to save 10%. That's angrylemonade.net. Are you looking for the newest and hottest in the world of pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 6,000 hours of the best events from over 150 of your favorite promotions from 20 different countries around the globe. Brands like Progress Wrestling, Evolve Wrestling, Combat Zone, Defy, PCW Ultra, PWX, Over the Top, Shine, and hundreds of others with fresh content added every day for only $5.99 per month. Get your free trial today at powerslam.tv. Go to powerslam.tv, promo code chairshot. Get your free month. Again, that's powerslam.tv, promo code chairshot. Thechairshot.com. Always use your head. Okay, we are back, and it is time to hand the mic over to David Ungar as he is going to share with you his contribution to musical chairs. Dave, I'm ready to be surprised. Lay it on me, my friend. Yeah, I think there's a slim chance this could be the band you're thinking of, but I, I don't know. I don't know how in your wheelhouse. I know you like this band. We've talked about them before when we did the uh, top bands thing on Bandwagon Nerds. Um, but they're absolutely in my top five favorite bands of all time. Very influential on me as a former guitar player, a, a, a just a staple of my teenage years. And it is the Godfathers of Thrash Metal, Metallica. So I, that was my band for next week. So was it? Yeah, it really was. It was. I was Metallica <laughs> next week. So you, when I I had a hunch. I did have. I kind of had a feeling. Which is why, you know, that's cool. I'll find a new band. Well, in fact, I already know 
I've already replaced it. Don't even worry about it. I already right. got another. I, I'm sorry. That that's funny though. That, no, don't apologize, yeah. man. That's that's part of the segment. That's why we surprise each other. I mean, and it's so, great, and it's great that they're, they're in your wheelhouse, so we can really you know talk about this and delve a little bit deeply into this. But this this is a band well, it's a that minute show or so like we can't know, you know. we can't go too deep. But uh, you know what what fascinates me about Metallica was that you know when you look at James Hetfield and his origin and and where he came from from a, a a christian science family and the tragedy about his mother passing away from cancer and refusing medical treatment because that was their belief and how that really helped to mold who james turned into and james has got a myriad of his own issues that he's had to deal with but this is a band that um i mean they came out of nowhere and i mean anybody who's known about metallica's origin story knows about the original grouping of the band that didn't include Kirk Hammett had Dave Mustaine, who then would go on to have great success with Megadeth, but actually got fired from Metallica. And that was a big rivalry, even though the two, those are two bands of two of the big so-called big four of thrash metal. But you know, the thing is with Metallica, they had those first three records that were, I mean, just absolutely tremendous. And, and, redefine what thrash metal and actually created thrash metal them and anthrax really created thrash metal but you know they they were so successful and they were breaking through and they were breaking down so many barriers and then of course you had the tragedy with cliff burton um who was really the only one out of the four of them who had any sort of like true classical music training was cliff burton he was the only one who knew anything about music and was trying to teach the other guys and had the most robust zest for living and that horrible tragic accident that that took him and and would have really crushed the soul of many many bands out there to lose somebody that integral to them but they reinvented themselves they get jason newstead they released that garage days record and i don't know if you remember when that thing came out pat this is the first time we'd heard Jason Newstead, and it was mind numbing to listen to them taking groups like Diamond Head and, and Killing Joke and the Misfits and redo their songs and not just redo them, but improve upon them. And in some cases, pretty drastically. And you're like, wow, what the hell is this? And then, of course, came in Justice for All. And, and I mean, I, it's funny when I was doing the research for this, and I don't know what you think about this, but. I was surprised by a lot of the negative comments on Injustice for All about the sound of the record, that it didn't sound, sounded almost overproduced. And I'm like, I I never, I never saw that. It's one of the most complicated musical records that I've ever heard. There's not an easy song on there, but I never got the whole idea about, well, it doesn't sound right. But um, I I don't know if I would say it doesn't sound right. I, I, it's funny that you brought up Injustice for All, though, because for me, you can definitely see the difference with with a cliffless Metallica. And I would argue that Injustice for All, like a lot of people talk about the Black Album and how that's when Metallica went, went mainstream, but they were setting up their mainstream run with injustice for all because i wouldn't say that it sounds overproduced but it definitely sounds the music sounds much more polished like go back and listen to master of puppets go back and listen to ride the lightning and you can just tell like there's a difference in not so necessarily what they're playing but how it sounds when they're done and 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 when they're when they're rolling with it and so 
it's funny because I, I really feel like Injustice sets the table for for the Black Album, which everybody, you know, that that came out when I was in high school. It was the, the Black Album. I was playing in locker rooms across America. Yeah, I mean, Enter Sandman mm-hmm. redefined the industry, really, when you think about it, right. because they had, they had achieved some, for the first time, some commercial success with one. And that was their big breakthrough, and they got the Grammy nomination, and then the biggest bullshit in the world took place when Jethro Tull. Tunny, Tunny bitches about it too. Shout out to PC Tunny. Um, one of the one of the best acceptance speeches is the is the following year when Lars thanks Jethro Tull for not making an album. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But I mean, it, they went on to win a, a couple of other Grammys, so it's not the end of the world. And and who gives a shit in the long run? You compare Jethro Tull to Metallica, and it's like, well. I guess things worked out the way they should. Not not that Jethro Tull's bad, because they're not. But, you know, we're talking Metallica. But yeah, the, the Black Album was, um, you know, Bob Rock came on for that one. And I know he'd done a lot of stuff at that time with Motley Crue. He'd done a lot of stuff with Bon Jovi. A lot of these hair metalish sort of bands that were, as far as like on the levels of thrash and heaviness, a significant rung below where Metallica was. But he came along and... You know, a lot of people will say that they sold out on that record or, or even on subsequent ones. But I just thought that one just sounded the best. I mean, there, there's really not. You look at the compilation of songs on the Black Album, and I don't think you can really come back and say, oh, that's a sellout song. You know, like it's not like Hero of the Day, which I still like that song. You know, that's nothing wrong with that song. But you can tell that's much more mainstream friendly than anything that they've done. And nothing. I mean, maybe nothing else matters. You can make the argument that nothing else matters was made for radio and it got adopted by radio and it's everywhere since then. But you know, this is a band that I tell you when you see them live and I've seen them live like four times and it would have been five, except I decided that drinking three quarters of a liter of Canadian mist in the back of my friend's van before the concert was a good idea. Kids at home. It's not a good idea to ever do that. And I never even made it into the concert, but I'll tell you the first time I saw them live, Pat was, um, Monsters of Rock. I don't know if you remember the back in the late 80s, they had a lot of festivals, you know, and this is a big thing. And they had these. Yes, they stopped doing music festivals by the time I started attending. Like, I've never heard of a music festival. So, So, Monsters of Rock was, they were touring stadiums mostly on the East Coast and I think in the Midwest some, but there were five bands and they came out in this order Kingdom Come came out first. They're most notable for having Jason Bonham on the drums, and that's really about it. Metallica came out second. This would prove out to be a drastic mistake for the three bands that followed them, which were Dokken, the Scorpions, and Van Hagar, or Van Halen, whatever you want to say. Metallica absolutely blew everybody off the stage. I mean, it, it was not... Their concert was so intense, and they were so damn good that nobody could... I mean. Okay, with the possible exception of George Lynch of Dokken and, of course, Eddie Van Halen himself, who doesn't have to take a backseat to anybody. But you remove those aspects of it, and it was an unbelievable show. The only bad part is they had, like, maybe a 25-minute set. Um, you know, I and I think, like, last week I'd said we were talking about Freddie's performance, Queen's performance at, at Live Aid, and I said there were two... That would have been, been two episodes ago. Two episodes ago, right. And I said last week that there were two other live performances where I thought the live performance and the crowd interaction were, were on 
that level, even though they didn't quite meet it. And I mentioned Rush's uh, performance of YYZ at Live in Rio was one. The other one is from Metallica. Go watch them do Enter Sandman in the Soviet Union in 1991. Look at their performance. Look at the crowd reaction. It's unbelievable. And you have to remember, 1991 is the dissolution of the USSR. The the Soviet Union is collapsing right before our eyes. And this crowd reaction to an American heavy metal band is really a microcosm of what's going on in the Soviet Union at this time. This is a, a nation embracing their freedom asking for their freedom and embracing it and almost demanding it. And it's very prevalent in that video. Go watch that. It's a tremendously powerful performance, but yeah, Metallica is just, they're one of my favorites are tremendous musicians. Uh, Kirk Hammett's one of the best guitarists. I know Lars is, I'm not going to say he's one of the best drummers. I know he's fine. And using your terminology, there's nothing wrong with him. He's not going to blow you away. He's very serviceable. Um, but you know, they went through so much. And James's issues with addiction are well documented. The Saint Anger stuff. I mean, I'm just waiting for. I'm just wait. I mean, yeah. I mean, you could say Saint Anger. I I never understood. Like, what did they? I was one of the ones who was definitely very vocal about what the fuck have they done with Lars's snare drum on this thing? This sounds terrible. Um, but they came back strong. Death Magnetic was a very good record. Hardwired was a very good record. I I'm really hoping we get something more out of these guys because they're still active. And, you know, if I have a big complaint about Metallica, it's the lag time between records. This really hurt them between the Black Album and Load. Five years. That's an awfully long time. When you're riding as high as they were, and then it's five years before. I mean, it was so long, I had a chance to move from the East Coast to the West Coast between those records. But they are they are the godfathers of thrash. They, It's amazing to me to think that this band I grew up with, I mean, it's all these years later. It's almost depressing, but I absolutely love Metallica. Uh, they, yeah, I mean, I don't, I Hall of Famers for sure, and one of the greatest of all time. All right, so I have two Metallica stories that that I'll tell. Um, it, it just kind of out of the interest of time. So the first one is when I was in college, my my best friend uh, on campus and still a good friend of mine today. We would. I, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, basically, when neither one of us had classes in the afternoon and we just wanted to get away from campus, we would hop in his car and we would have mandatory Metallica, which, you know, is a ripoff of a segment on radio shows across the country. But we would take every CD we owned because, you know, there was no streaming music, right? Uh, you know, back then, um, Napster was in its infancy. And we would just pump in album after album. We would only play tunes. Like, we would just play our favorites. And we would go through every single album we have and we would drive as far as we could and we would end up in like i was in illinois at the time we'd end up in indiana driving uh just wasting gas listening to metallica um that was a whole thing and i've only seen them live once um i saw them at rock fest a festival in chicago they were one of four headliners they were the final headliner um uh, and I was the only member of the group of us who had gone who hadn't seen them perform before. And they finished their set. They have yet to come out to do their encore where they're going to play all of the hits. Like, have not heard Enter Sandman. Have not heard, I'd heard, like, they played like Master of Puppets. Had not heard a lot of the stuff from the Black Album. They were saving that for the encore. The girlfriend of one of the guys who was the driver wanted to go home. So, 
I, with no rights, did not see Metallica basically perform all of their good shit off of the off of the Black album, and, and missed their encore. I have seen them live, but yeah, I did not. I did not get to see it through. Could I, could, I ask, could I ask you, did you get into the mosh pit at least? No, because true story, I it, one of the other headliners was Kid Rock, right? And we were up close and on top of the stage. And Kid Rock, um, during Bawa to Ba, he plays all of the instruments on the stage, which I have respect for Kid Rock, even though I don't care for his music. But when he played, when he played the drums, he threw the drumsticks into the crowd and I caught a drumstick. I have a, a, a drumstick from Kid Rock that, so when I caught it, I was surrounded by all these people who were like grabbing at you and trying. So I got the fuck out of there. So we weren't actually in the mosh when Metallica came on, which also then made it easier for us to get out of there because they were outside of it. So they couldn't really make anybody leave. So that was how we ended up or how I ended up not. I so kind of blame Kid Rock also for me not catching it. But yeah, I still have that drumstick. Um, used to keep it in my pickup truck because that's what redneck Illinois kids did at the time. <laughs> for my money, my two favorite my two favorite albums to listen to um, is S and M. The the performance they did oh, with the San Francisco City Orchestra. Uh, I love that performance. I love that show. I love watching that show. And then Live Shit Binge and Purge, which is a four disc um, compil. It's a collection of concerts that they did after the Black Album came out uh in europe uh and it's just it's for it's just it's wall to wall it's great shit strongly recommend listening to it so dave to you let me ask you this uh, because you know they were going to be your band next week so i want to ask you this what song by metallica that's not ultra mainstream would you recommend to people who may not know enough about them so I, again, I feel like I'm like this old man because I, you know, I appreciate the earlier stuff, right? And so I loved that in their older albums, they used to have eight to 10 minute long instrumentals. And there, you know, most people know Call of Cthulhu, um, but I actually prefer on um, Master of Puppets, Orion. And so that's that would have been one of my suggestions. You know, if you want to see Cliff Burton's influence, that's really where you see like the the composition piece, these seven to eight minute long instrumentals. And Orion was was one of my favorites by them. Yeah, I'd I'd say anybody looking for Cliff Burton stuff, Orion's excellent anesthesia, the lead into Whiplash is phenomenal. If you want to look and and actually Cliff could do that live is even more right. impressive. Uh the song I would recommend because, you know, on the very first record, Kill Em All, which is, you think about, think about, I'd say go listen to that whole damn that album. Go listen to Garage Days as well, which is absolutely tremendous. But when you think about how young they were to put out Kill Em All with the musicianship that's on that record, it's remarkable. Whiplash gets a lot of love, as does Hit the Lights, as does The Four Horsemen. The song off of that that I always gravitated to is one of my absolute favorites is No Remorse. I mean, just the intro to that song is tremendous, and, and it's a, an awesome song. I mean, I, I got memories and things that I will not share publicly about that song, uh, but that's one I would definitely say check out No Remorse. Uh, it's 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 hidden. I think it's like song seven or something like that on the B-side back in the days when you had B-sides. That's what, what I would what? say. 
One little bit of trivia. What song off the Kill 'Em All album was an entrance tune for a professional wrestler in the late 90s? Probably For Whom the Bell Tolls, right? No, that's is that that's, oh, that's Ride the Lightning. Ball. That's on Ride the Lightning. Uh, gosh, I don't know. Seek and Destroy. Uh, Sting came out to Seek and Destroy in the 90s in WCW. Right. Uh, and you, knowing how much Metallica likes their rights fees, you know they made bank on that, and the WCW shelled it out. Yeah, you mentioned Napster, and I mean, of course, Metallica versus Napster. Everybody gets mad at them for Napster, but here's what I think is funny: in my old age, I'm like, I kind of had a point. They did. Like, like, they I, did. like, it's kind of a dick thing. Like, it was a dick thing because it took something great away from folks, but they weren't lying. Like, they weren't lying. Um, it just. You know, when you when you want your band to not be corporate, and that's just a very corporate thing to do. Um, I get why there was backlash against them over Napster. I also understand why they argued against it. So, excellent choice, Dave. Um, clearly, we were in sync on that one. So, all right, we are coming up on forty minutes, so we are going to wrap up this, and that's before we add tunes. Which, by the way, we do not own the rights to this music, but we're still going to share it with you until they tell us not to. Yeah, anyway, as long as we stay away from the Eagles, we should be okay. I hate the fucking Eagles, well, man. Well, you're put you're pushing you're pushing with Metallica. They, if, if if Lars hears this, we're in so much trouble. Eh. So anyway, that's gonna do it for for our Monday edition of Chair Shot Radio. Dave, before we go, tell everybody where to find you. You can find me on Twitter at Attitude Ag and on Facebook.com at uh Facebook.com slash attitude of aggression. And you can follow me on the Twitter at Wrestling Realist. That is at W-R-E-S-T-L-N-G-R-E-A-L-I-S-T. Dave and I will hit you back up again later this afternoon in what will be a loaded edition of Bandwagon Nerds. As we are going to talk all about the great battle between Disney and ScarJo. But that's for later this afternoon. You've been listening to Musical Chairs, your Monday edition of Chair Shot Radio. For David Ungar, everybody have a pleasant Monday. You've been listening to ChairShot Radio on the ChairShot Radio Network, a part of the ChairShot.com.
buy to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.